Let's read our passage. It's Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22, okay? You know the passage quite well, I imagine, if you've been around church world very long. It's the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. I want you to remember that he's writing this to the church at Ephesus. That name's going to come back up later in our message. Wives, verse 22, Ephesians 5, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. See? Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, okay, there's the illustration, so it must be reflected, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How, husbands? As Christ loved the church, and He gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He's talking about us. He's talking about the church. Christ is doing His work of preparation, washing us, renewing us, cleansing us, getting, seeking a pure church that He can hold up as His bride. What a privilege. In the same way, look, in the same way, verse 28, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. That's the second time he's told us that. We are his body. He's the head. He's the groom. We're the bride. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast, cleave to his wife. This is Genesis being quoted by Paul. And the two shall become one flesh. Oh, this mystery, verse 32, is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What is this all about? Why did he just quote Genesis? He's talking about Christ and his church. However, a byproduct of this teaching, verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. At least six times he talks about the church in there by name. Two or three other times he uses pronouns to describe the church. It's, it's just interlaced through this entire passage. And this is the model for our earthly marriages. And today on Anniversary Sunday, let's think about our first love as a church. Let's think about falling in love with Jesus. It goes back, as we just sang, to the day of our salvation and, and the baptism and, and the pro public proclamation of before the congregation of knowing Christ and identifying with the body of Christ. And we're His bride. He's our groom. Five marks of an in-love bride. The first one is the bride that is in love with her groom is, number one, joyfully submissive. Joyfully submissive. Look what he says in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I think it's important that he put your own husband. It's not an abusive man thing here. Women don't have to just bow down to all men. But their own husband, they have this unique role of submission to their husband. But notice, it's to be done as to the Lord. It's a spiritual dynamic. The reality of a wife submitting to her husband is loaded with spiritual ramification. For the husband is the head of the 
wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now look at verse 24. Now as the church does what? Submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The first mark of an in-love bride is that she is joyfully submissive to her groom. And now I think that because this is one of those passages that like, uh uh-oh, look where he is now. Let's just talk for a minute about what this is not teaching. Can we do that? First of all, um, what this is not teaching is it's, we understand, first of all, that this is not the way of our world. Would we agree on that? That, that if, if anything is countercultural, this teaching is countercultural. I mean, as the feminist movement has swept through our culture and society, and uh, the equality of women has been fought for, for, and in some ways very appropriately, this passage has been swept in with all of the rest and been completely misconstrued, completely misunderstood, completely uh, taken out of its context, and has been seen as some kind of a... Of a Uh, 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 anti-woman, Pauline epistle mandate for men to beat down women. And so when our world hears something like this, we recognize that it's not their way. In fact, as we've just read, we've understood that this is incredibly contextual in a spiritual reality. So how can the world understand it? In the darkness of their minds, they have no understanding of what God is teaching here in our roles. And furthermore, if you have accepted evolution and you have rejected a creator God, then you have no, you have no submission or surrender to the plan and design of God of how things fit together. And how God designed the the man to be the head of his home and the wife to be the helper and for them to come together in an appropriate way, teaming up in a way that makes them so much better than if they were without one another. But you know that a two-headed monster is a freak. You can't have two leaders. You'll end up in tug-of-war. And God knows that, and God does things peaceably and pure. He does things in order with great design. And so we recognize right away, we know what we're reading here is, number one, it's not of this world. By the way, the, the word here that's translated to submit, wives, submit to your own husbands, is a, is a word that means to arrange things or to rank them in, uh, underneath one another. It's actually a military, it's, it's, a, it's a military term, and it has the idea of relinquishing over rights and coming in and ranking things and arranging them in order of command. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians taught that the head, of, the head of the man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. There is a chain of command, and that's the idea here, that there is this arrangement. But the second thing I want you to understand that this is not is that it's not just for women. It's not just for wives. You need to understand that this idea of submission is something that, is, that permeates all of the Christian life. For example, and you can let your eyes glance there, look up at verse 21 of Ephesians 5. Look what Paul's instruction is as he's going into this passage specific to husbands and wives and the groom Christ with his bride, the church. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This isn't just for wives, this idea of submission. Number one, it's for all believers, Ephesians 5.21. We already saw in verse 24, as the church submits to Christ... So number two, we recognize that this is not just for wives, but it's for the whole church. We have to all submit to Christ. So submission is something we all must embrace. 
In verse 25, it says that, in verse 25, it says that Christ gave himself up for the church and that that is to be the model for all husbands. Listen, you can't give up your very life for someone without surrender or submission. And so submission is also, has to be in the vocabulary of all husbands. So it's for all believers, it's for the whole church, it's for husbands. When we go ahead to Ephesians chapter 6, we see that Paul starts chapter 6 with verse 1, and it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. To obey parents means that children have to submit to parents. So this is also a word that children have to understand. And furthermore, he goes on and he talks about employers over their employees or, or masters over servants, and that employees or servants are to surrender their will to their master. And so it's for everyone who has a boss. Listen, you can't live the Christian life without understanding the word submit. The Christian life necessitates a submission from all of us. In this role, we recognize that Paul is specifically teaching wives, and we recognize that it is the role of the church in submission to Jesus Christ that is the very model for wives to their husbands. The third thing I think this is not teaching is that if you are called to submit, you are weak. That this is, a, this is weak. I would say, if you think submission is weakness or it's easy, just try doing it. I'll tell you, some of the most gracious, godly wives, some of whom are from marriages that have not been blessed in a sense of having a godly husband who does love them as Christ loves the church... And they do not have respect-worthy husbands, and yet they are called by God to submit. I tell you, that's not weakness. That is admirable self-control. That is admirable fruit of the Spirit coming out. And in verse 25, where he says, And Jesus gave himself up for his church. That literally means he died for his church. It's not easy to die to self, is it? And when we submit, we have to die to self. So that's a three little thoughts on what it is not. It is not understood by the world. We recognize that. It's spiritual. It is not just for wives. It's for the body of Christ at large. And it doesn't mean you're weak. It does not mean you're weak. So what does it mean? What does it look like? Let's, let's continue this thought for just a minute. And will you turn to 1 Peter chapter 3? Um, keep turning towards the back of your New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 3. And here Peter gives instruction to, to married couples. And, and in this instruction, I want you to see what, godly, what characterizes godly submission. Godly submission is characterized, and I'm going to give you four things. Four things that characterize godly submission. Look what Peter says. Likewise, wives, 1 Peter 3, 1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, now he's speaking specifically here to wives who are married to an unsaved or even perhaps an ungodly husband who doesn't care what God says or thinks. Even if, you do not, even if they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Did you get that? The hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, 
which in God's sight is very precious. Underline that in your that in God's sight is very precious. And he goes on to say, this is how the holy women of old conducted themselves. These are the characteristics of a woman who is submissive. First of all, do you notice the humility? The humility that is recognized in the passage. Look what it says. That they may be won over without a word. That takes humility, doesn't it? You're trying to get along and things aren't, might not be going so well and you recognize that you're called by God to be submissive to your husband. And so without even saying a word, that's humility. Not a loud, demonstrative, carrying on woman. It reminds me of the lady who never spoke when they argued. The husband said to the wife, when I get mad at you, you never argue back. You never fight back. How do you control your anger? She just said quietly, well, I just cleaned the toilet bowl. We said, well, how does that help? She says, I use your toothbrush. (laughs) It's not that kind of quiet. It's not that kind of not a word. It is a true godly humility. Some of you aren't going to get over that one right away. Some of you are worried about your toothbrushes now. (laughs) No, not that kind of humility. The kind of humility that is the gracious Christ-like humility where on the cross he never answered. He never gave a word. He surrendered to the will of God out of a sweet obedience. The second thing I want you to see is, is the integrity that's involved in a godly woman's submission. Godly submission is characterized by humility. It's characterized by integrity. Look what it says. Not a word, but by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful. Respectful. That has to do with an inner attitude that shows on the outside. That's her integrity. She's for real. It's not an external act. It's her love for Christ in her heart that is being demonstrated to her husband. Not only is it humility and integrity, but notice then, secondly, respectfully and with a pure conduct. Washing the toilet bowl with the guy's toothbrush when he's at work is not pure conduct. But purity, purity characterizes the woman who is submissive. She has pure motives. She has a pure attitude about why she's doing it. And fourthly, let me show you, verse, look at verses 3 and 4. Don't misunderstand these verses. It says, he says emphatically, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. The idea there is, do not let your image of yourself depend upon your external adorning. I don't think he's saying at all that women shouldn't take care of themselves and that it's wrong to wear pretty clothes or jewelry or hair. What is wrong is when you depend upon that for your standard of your beauty. He says it's much deeper than that. Your adorning, your grace, the beauty of your life should come from within, he says. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. You know what's very precious in God's sight? Is when you you obey His word And humbly submit out of obedience to His Word. What I see here is a true spirituality. What what characterizes godly marital submission? 
Humility, integrity, purity, and true spirituality, according to Peter. And these are the qualities that we must demonstrate in our church as we submit to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. We've seen one mark so far of an in-love bride, and that mark is that she is joyfully submissive. Notice the second mark. Look at, let's read on. Verse 24 is where we'll pick it up. Now the model is, is Christ's, the church's submission to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave her himself up for her that he might sanctify her cleansing her, and so forth. The second quality that I see in this passage about the bride that's in love is is that she is confidently secure. She is confidently secure in the love of her groom. Do you think that a wife who knows that without a second thought her husband would give up his life for her, do you think that it's Do you think that a wife, a bride, who knows that her groom is committed to reflecting in his love for his bride what what the love for Christ had in the church and giving himself up for it, don't you think that brings a great security to her in her love? She's not worried about that groom messing around. She's not worried about his eyes going other places. She's not worried about his other distractions. She is confidently secure because he would give his very life for her and his model is Christ. Guys, let's take just a minute and and let's remind ourselves about how difficult this task is. I often think when I see this passage and sometimes we'll deal with it in premarital counseling and try to understand what's happening here in the back and forth. Listen. You think, ladies, that it's difficult to love your husbands in such a way that you submit to him as Christ, as the church submits to Christ? Think about the man's job, the husband, the groom, is called to love his wife the way Christ loved the church. Who can do that? Let's think about that for a minute. You don't have to turn in the passages, but let me just remind you of of four dynamics of the way Christ loves the church. First of all, it's a totally unselfish love. It is a completely unselfish love. 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. This is what it says. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. John says in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is, that Christ laid down His life for the bride. That is unselfishness. Taking the hit. Bringing it all upon Himself so that she can go free. That's what Jesus did for us, isn't it? He went to the cross and He heaped on Himself the sin of the world so that He could create a bride for Himself. So that He could have a pure and a spotless, stainless bride washed with the water of regeneration, washed with the water of the Word, cleansed and purified. And He took it on Himself. All the dirt, all the scum, and it became His. This unselfish love, 1 John 3.16. And husbands, our job is to love our wives in exactly the same manner. In unselfish manner. It's not easy. We find out in a hurry how selfish we are when we're married, don't we? And the second dynamic of this Christ like love is that it is completely unconditional. It is totally 
unselfish, but it is completely unconditional. Do you know what Romans 8.35 says? Romans 8.35, that's that great passage that says, Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Could it be tribulation? Could it be distress? How about persecution? What about famine? What about nakedness, danger, or sword? No, he says, in all these things we are more than conquerors and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Why? Because it's an unconditional love. He doesn't need us to look a certain way. He doesn't need us to behave a certain way. He loved us in number three even when it was undeserved. It was an undeserved love. That's Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates or shows His love for us in this, that while we were still what? Sinners. Christ died. We didn't deserve it. He didn't have to go to the cross for us, but it was absolutely unconditional and undeserved. Sometimes we worry about whether our husbands will still love us as we age a little bit or how the husband feels like his wife looks at him with a little bit of age. And It's unconditional. It's like uh, one afternoon... Uh, when their last child left home, this couple was just sitting on the couch, kind of taking it in, and the husband had laid over and put his head on his wife's lap, and they were just resting and talking about what it was going to be, this new phase of their lives, married 20 years, their last child out of the home, they're now empty nesters, how things are changing. And she reached down and carefully took off his glasses, and, and she said, you know, honey, Without your glasses on, you look exactly like the same handsome young man I married. And he looked up at her and he said, Honey, said, without my glasses, you look pretty good too. <laughs> but it's unconditional, right? Hey, what's a few wrinkles? What's a little dimness of the eye? Maybe there's a reason we lose our eyesight as we get older. Husbands, how are you going to love your wives? Your wife? <laughs> Unselfishly? Unconditionally? It's an undeserved love? How about, number four, an unfailing love? An unwavering, unfailing love? That's that great passage in 1 Corinthians 13, right? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. Love is kind. That's one the Lord's working on me on. I'm thinking about that. Love is to be kind. Love bears no records of wrong. You don't keep track of all the ways you've been wronged by your spouse. Love endures. Love is patient. Love is kind. Remember what it says, and love never fails. It's an unfailing love. I wonder, I wonder how many of the wives in the marriages and the homes at Fellowship Bible Church the wives would bear testimony to the fact that my husband loves me, his love is unselfish, his love is unconditional, his love is undeserved, and his love is unfailing. You know, when a woman is loved like that, it's not difficult to surrender to that kind of guy, is it? To submit to that kind of man who shows himself to be so like Christ. That bride is confidently secure. The third thing we see is that the bride that is totally in love with her groom 
is spotlessly sanctified. She's spotlessly sanctified. Uh, Let's read on in our passage, verses 26 and 27. Look what he says. That he might sanctify. That means separate her from sin. Take away the dirt. Cleanse and clean. Cleanse her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Christ purifies his bride. Husbands, I wonder how many of us, our wives, are, are more pure because of us. I wonder if the dynamic and the integrity of my walk and my spiritual life and my love for Christ elevates the purity of life of my bride or do I bring her down? Am I trying to get her to go places and do things and see things and participate in things that would bring her down, that are not clean, that are not purifying? Christ only purifies His bride. Now, as only Christ could do, He chooses His bride, and then He washes her, He prepares her, He takes that which was ugly and undeserving, and He brings it out of His own grace and His mercy and His election and His, and His appointment. He pulls together a bride that He prepares for Himself. In, in a lot of ways, this is the idea of the day that when the church, and you're going to see in a minute, the Apostle Paul talks about this being a mystery We didn't see this coming in the Old Testament. There's this parenthesis. There's this church age. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, is this new covenant. And now the church, the body of Christ is being formed. And Christ the groom has gone on ahead and He's preparing a place for her. And He will come again that where He is, there she may be also. And He will come and He will receive His bride one day. And in the meantime, He's processing. He's purifying. And He's making a spotless, clean Bride for himself. Praise God for the righteousness of Christ by which I can be made clean. I can't get clean enough for Jesus to want me as his bride. The only way I can get clean enough through the washing of the word and the washing of the water of the word. It's like a description, like taking a shower with the word of God. It cleanses me. And I'm renewed and I'm regenerated and and by God's grace He takes me to the cross and He showers me there with the blood of Christ which cleanses me from all sin. And I'm in Christ and I can be part now of this spotless bride that's waiting for His groom, her groom. That's us. That's motivational. That should keep Fellowship Bible Church on track for at least another 22 years. That we're the bride and if He tarries and and our groom doesn't come right away. We have our lamps lit and we're prepared and we're ready and our groom is going to come and He's going to receive His spotless bride unto Himself. It's that picture of the beautiful bride in white. There's a reason a bride wears white. It's symbolic. The groom waits down here and he receives his bride. He receives his bride. The groom is waiting and she comes. And she's, she's in that beautiful, white, pure, perfumed, spotless, elegant presentation. You remember that moment, guys? I was totally intimidated. When I stepped out of the platform door, that little red auditorium at Independent Bible Church... And it was Janet Parsons was going to be coming down the aisle. How did I ever get here? It's kind of the other way around. Jesus, he, he's preparing his bride. I didn't think I had a chance at my bride. But here we are. and I'm married way up. I'm thankful for that. The Lord's been so good to us and to me. 
But what a moment when the groom and the bride come together. You know, come just swanking in, all slobbed up and dirty and cruddy and... No, very prepared. That's what Christ is doing. The, thing, the next thing I want you to see about the in-love bride is that she's completely satisfied. She's completely satisfied. Look at verses 28 and 29. For, verses 28 and 29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Look at that last phrase. He nourishes and cherishes it. That's what a man does to his body. You know about that, don't you? Man knows how to take care of his body. We watch out for our body. I don't like it to hurt. Oh, Jonathan's getting big and strong. He punches all the time now. That hurts me. I take care of my body. Knock it off. Not me yet. Don't punch me. And we know how to find the right kind of food. I, I, mean, I mean, Janet's been on the warpath about my Mountain Dew a little bit. She says whatever makes it green is some kind of a rat poison. She read it on the internet, so it's true. I think Mountain Dew's good for you. Every good and perfect gift comes from above and from the Father of lights. It's to be enjoyed. I know how to take care of myself, right? You know how to, look what he says. You know how to nourish your body? And you cherish it. You know which chair you like to sit in. You know which channel you like to watch. You know what you like to do to feel good. Sometimes your wife says, well, we need this. We need, we need to get our landscaping done. And we need to rake leaves. And you say, no, i, I got to go sit in a tree with my bow. We're not take care of myself here. i got priorities. i got my plan. Man, man knows how to do that. He never hated his own flesh. He nourishes it, cherishes it. But look what it says. That's what Christ does to the church. In the way that a man loves to spoil his own body, Christ loves to spoil his own church. You know, when a groom loves his bride equally the way he loves his own body and takes care of his own agenda, but she feels taken care of like that, she's completely satisfied, isn't she? Number four, she's a completely satisfied bride there's no need to look elsewhere in that bride's agenda is there she's not longing for some other guy that she knew back in high school that's now reconnected on facebook she's completely satisfied because she is cherished and she is loved the characteristics of an in love bride are that she's joyfully submissive She's confidently secure. She's spotlessly sanctified. She's completely satisfied with her groom. And notice that then finally she is totally surrendered. Totally surrendered. No one ever hated his body, verse 29. Nourishes, cherishes it. That's what Christ does to the church. Because we're members of his body. He's taking care of his own body when he's taking care of us. Therefore, a man shall leave, and he's going to quote Genesis. Look at this. And he's going to talk about the physical aspect of a relationship. He's, he's going right to the act of marriage here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the marriage bed. This mystery is profound. 
This whole reality, it's profound. And I'm saying, Paul says, verse 32, that what we're referring to here and why I quoted Genesis, it's all about the church. It refers to Christ and His love for the church. How is it that marital lovemaking relates to Christ and the church? The picture is of a bride completely surrendered to the groom. It's beautifully pictured there. She's totally surrendered because she loves her groom. And so nothing is held back. Everything is wide open. Everything is accepted and brought in. And he loves her and he cherishes her and he gently takes care of her. And she resists not at all. She's completely yielded. It's a beautiful picture of a total surrender. And that's how this bride, Fellowship Bible Church, needs to be completely, completely unadulteratedly surrendered to the groom, Jesus. That's a picture. Are we an in-love bride today? Turn to Revelation chapter 2, shall you, will you please? Revelation chapter 2. So Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. And... Um, I don't know, I I didn't double check. It's in your study Bible when he wrote it. Let's say, what is it, about 40, 50 A.D.? Somewhere in there. And he writes this letter to Ephesus. And then, the last book of the New Testament, John is stranded in exile on on the Isle of Patmos, in in the Mediterranean there. He's in exile, he's essentially arrested for the gospel. And on the Lord's Day, he has this unbelievable vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the book of Revelation written down for us. Was, was what The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what he recorded for us. You'll recall that when he began this letter, that it talked about seven different churches that the reader of that day particularly would have known were seven specific geographical areas, cities that had churches. And you'll notice in chapter 1, verse 21, that we're given a code, we're given a key to understand what he's talking about. And the key is, verse 20, that's for the mystery of the seven stars, chapter 1, verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. He then goes on to write, to record seven words Seven different statements by Jesus to these churches. And they're addressed to the angel of each of these churches. The word angel there is probably best understood, not as some kind of flittering, floating, white-winged, haloed, angelic, heavenly being, but angel as in a messenger, the messenger of the church, probably best understood as the one who is the leader, the pastor of the church, the one who brought the word of God to the churches. And then he walks among these golden lampstands and he says the golden lampstands are the churches themselves. And it's as though Jesus comes walking into our church. And the very first letter that he records is the church at Ephesus. We just studied in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's direct teaching on how Christ loves the bride, his church, so much. And how the bride is supposed to be in love with the groom. And how the physical marriage of our families are supposed to reflect that beautiful love of Christ for his church. Now it's probably 30 or 40 years later. 
And he says, the words of him who holds the seven stars, at least 20 years later, he says, the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands, he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. That's good. You're strong. You work hard. You don't like that which is evil. You have discernment. You've tested those who call themselves apostles. And they're not, though. And you found them to be false. And you didn't put up with that. You took care of it. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake. You care about the name of Jesus. You have tenacity and discipline in the ministry. And you haven't even grown weary. You keep plowing ahead, even though the rest of the world thinks you're barefoot, pregnant, and toothless in West Virginia. You just keep believing that Bible stuff. And you're just chugging along. And you put up with it. And and you just keep going. And you go for me. And you have discernment. But I have this against you, Ephesus. The one that was taught exactly how a bride was to love their groom. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You have fallen away from your first love. You've grown cold. You are a bride who is no longer deeply in love with the groom. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. It's sinful. And do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand, your church, from its place, unless you repent. It's a strong word, isn't it? You know that um, this room right here would make a dandy carpet sales room. Maybe you could sell spas out of this room right here. How about used furniture? Wouldn't this place make a good used furniture store? Probably some guys with savvy could take and saw out the floor and they could create rooms and this would make a dandy nursing home, wouldn't it? Do you know the church, it's, it's represented by the building here. It's not. My point is that we we have to be careful to stay in love with our groom or, or God might just remove our lampstand. And there might not be a Fellowship Bible Church represented by this property on the corner of Daniel and Flowing Springs. Who do we think we are? We've got to stay in love with our groom. And when we're in love, oh, we joyfully submit. We willingly surrender and all the other things we talked about. I think it's um, really important on an anniversary Sunday to look back at our first love and remind ourselves about how much we love our groom. We're the bride. Our groom is Jesus. And when the bride and groom really love each other, everybody knows, don't they? We're in love and it shows. Let's bow in prayer. I'm going to be quiet for just a minute. We're going to conclude with an old gospel hymn that asks God to lead us as we move into the future now, another year, we don't know what's going to happen. We live in strange days, quickly changing days, days that could highly impact the way we do church. We'll just trust the Lord for wisdom if, if anything like that happens or there's an unfolding or an undoing of what is normal for us right now. But these are great days to be in love with Jesus. These are great days for the bride to renew her love for the groom. And oh, we have a handsome groom, don't we? Jesus, our Savior, gave Himself up for us. Took our sin upon Himself. Gave us a new life, a new name, a new reputation. 
a new goal, a new purpose. Some of us husbands here need to repent because we've fallen away from a high level of love and commitment to our earthly brides. And maybe we as a church need to just quietly repent and renew our love for our heavenly groom, Jesus. Let's just be quiet for a minute. Let the Lord speak to us, take care of these matters. Father, we often sing so easily and coming from our lips our words of love and adoration for our groom, Jesus, and yet often our hearts are so divided. We are so engaged in spiritual pornography. We're finding satisfaction in other things. We want to be renewed in our love for Jesus alone. We don't want to be seeking our joy and our peace and our contentment in anything but Jesus, our wonderful groom. Would you show us how to do that? Thank you for our great salvation that is in Christ, that is readily available, that sinners can bow and confess and forsake and repent and accept Christ as their Savior and join his body, the bride. Father, show us where we need to improve in our homes, our marriages, that our families would be strong. But Father, corporately today, we would ask that you would help us be a bride that is completely enamored with the groom and absolutely satisfied in our love with Jesus. Forgive us, Father, for how easily distracted we are, how easily turned away. Renew our love for Jesus, I pray. May your good hand be upon Fellowship Bible Church. May your good hand be upon the homes and the marriages of Fellowship Bible Church. In Jesus' name we pray, asking for your direction and your guidance for the future this anniversary Sunday. Amen.